Hello and welcome back to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name's Lucy Gilman, I'm Deputy Editor at B2B Marketing and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Andy Mildren, Managing Director of Edelman Business Marketing, EMEA. On today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into Edelman and LinkedIn's research, the B2B Thought Leadership Impact Report and what you can learn from it. But first, first things first, Andy, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. Great. And just to kick things off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role at Edelman? Yeah, sure. So um, I joined Edelman nearly six years ago, um, initially to uh, grow the B2B revenue and creativity on one of our largest global accounts. Um, That's gone very well. Um, We've experienced a great year-on-year growth. Uh, We've been able to expand the team, bringing in a lot of new B2B talent. Um, and we partnered with the client to deliver some highly integrated creative work, which has had a really tangible impact for them in terms of their engagement, in terms of the performance, and most importantly, in terms of the commercial impact. Um, obviously, that was going quite well. So um, Edelman asked me to then take a look at how we could apply some of that to some of our other clients, and things have grown and developed from there. Uh, I now lead Edelman Business Marketing across Europe, Middle East, and Africa, um, and we work with some fantastic clients like Microsoft, uh, HSBC, uh, Shell, and DP World. Um, I've been in the industry for um, over 20 years, um, and I genuinely believe this is some of the best work that I've been able to do over my career. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to work with a super smart team who wow me every day, and um, you know there are some amazing talent and capabilities within Edelman, whether it's from a strategy and a creative point of view, through to behavioural scientists, through to creative technologists. Um, And that means that the work is really varied, it's intellectually interesting, and it's an amazing environment to learn in. In some ways, my personal journey ties into some of the trends that are impacting B2B marketing at the moment. When you think about B2B, you know, we're often talking about um, multi-year, multi-million dollar contracts. There is a high degree of uh, personal risk for the B2B decision makers in terms of the decisions that they make. And so trust and reputation is incredibly important in that area. But as an industry, there can sometimes be a tendency to get caught up very much in some of the the short-term immediate targets um, for some of the work to become quite transactional and quite product-centric. And that's where sort of some of my background comes in. So I started my career um, more on the PR side of things, where actually things like trust, reputation, creative storytelling are particularly important. And, you know, I think there are a lot of those elements that, you know, really can benefit uh, B2B marketing today. Um, I think business brands, businesses need to really try and build stronger brands. They need to better articulate their differentiators. Uh, They need to sustain conversations with their prospects for longer and do that in a more interesting and entertaining way. And I think business brands which do find that right balance are more better set up for long-term success. And that segues quite neatly, I guess, onto the Thought Leadership Report that we produce with Edelman and LinkedIn. Yes, so the B2B Thought Leadership Impact Report. Can you just tell us a bit about it? What were some of the core goals behind it? And why our listeners should really sit up and take notice? Sure. So um, Edelman and LinkedIn have been running the Thought Leadership Report together for the last five years. Uh, We speak to 3,500 business decision makers and marketeers across six different countries and across a range of different business sizes and sectors. 
And the definition that we use of thought leadership in this instance is content which organisations and individuals produce on a topic that they know a lot about and they feel others can benefit from. And in this instance, it excludes content that's more focused on an organisation's specific products and services. The field research for the latest study was conducted at a time when governments, business leaders, um, the public were um, bracing themselves for some challenging economic conditions. And, you know, we're still seeing inflation and costs being high, but also we've seen some other uncertainties. So there's been jitters in the banking sector. There's the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. There's challenges around supply chain, around uh, energy stability and security. Um, and we've also seen job cuts across a lot of different sectors. And in that context, I think you know a lot of marketeers are going to be facing um, pressure on their budgets and resources. There is a need to do more with less um, and really think about where they prioritise investment. And the Thought Leadership Study can provide some pointers and some thoughts around how that might help as they start thinking about their planning for uh, 2024. So, as you said, this report was done against a somewhat tense economic background and the report opens with some really concerning stats on that and what that means for marketers. For example, 44% of decision makers say that they'll be less receptive to sales calls and marketing outreach if there's a downturn. And similarly, 55% say that products and services that are just a nice to have, not a need to have, will be cut. Can you tell us a bit more about this and what that means for the world of marketing more generally? Yes, absolutely. And I think another um, interesting but slightly alarming stat which comes out from the research is that um, 64% of C-level executives have said that their organisations have tightened their um, uh, procurement processes um, anticipating some challenging times ahead. So I think that is a really tough climate for B2B marketeers. It's a tough climate in terms of trying to break through to their target audiences but you know also as we, we've talked about also you know they're going to be under acute pressure to look at budgets to look at efficiency um, and I think there could be a temptation there to focus solely on the bottom of funnel activity um, to emphasize efficiency as a key metric and perhaps to stick with safer approaches or try to adapt and reuse you know a lot of the existing content that they have and I can totally understand that but I think you know, what that can mean is perhaps some of those activities which are going to really help drive longer term relationships with those customers that are going to help deepen that trust, going to help really build for the longer term are the ones that are probably likely to be at risk. Yeah, so that focus on bottom of funnel activity and those safer approaches, does that just mean it's a massive blow to thought leadership? I don't think it does. I mean, you alluded to this earlier where you said that um, that made that point around um, decision makers really focusing on the must-haves rather than the nice-to-haves. Yeah. And what that means is organisations are going to have to work a lot harder to prove their value and prove the value add that they can offer. And the study finds that actually thought leadership is one of the most effective tools for doing this, more so than traditional advertising or product marketing. Mm. And I think there's several different reasons for this. Firstly, you know, during a downturn, people are hungrier for fresh insights. The customers you're looking to reach are also facing uncertainty. They want clarity, they want direction. And some of the key things that come through in the research that they're looking for 
are around identifying new opportunities or trends that might be stemming from uh, economic changes. It can be around explaining how their organisations can help a business do well despite tough conditions. Mm. And also individually for the customers you're trying to reach, they want to look good. They need to look good in that kind of climate. They want to show have something smart that they can be showing their boss. So I think within the marketing mix, thought leadership is actually the natural home for providing advice, uh, different perspectives and insightful data that can help with a lot of those points. I think some of the other reasons for that are, um, you know, the old adage around putting people first and people by people absolutely remains true today. And, you know, particularly during uncertain times. If, as we'd mentioned from the research earlier, buyers are much more selective about the sales calls, the marketing collateral they consume, actually things that are coming from named individuals, from people they trust, are going to have much more impact. And you want to be hearing from people who are, you know, the real experts in that sector, who can provide reassurance, who can be sharing their knowledge and practical advice. And I think staying on that topic, also with thought leadership, one of the things that comes through is actually uh, people have a lot more trust in the the subject matter experts. So uh, whether that's the scientists, the researchers, um, and a lot of thought leadership companies tend to focus on very senior execs talking about themselves, talking about their company, but actually really people want to be hearing from those kind of deep technical experts and, and people that you know really can get into the, di- the nitty-gritty of an issue. And then I think the final piece around that is also thought leadership is where the decision makers are. So um, our research found that 69% of decision makers uh, think thought leadership is one of the best ways of uh, getting a sense of the type and the calibre of an organisation's thinking. And actually 61% are willing to pay a premium to companies which can demonstrate um, depth of thought and similar values. So in many ways, thought leadership actually punches above its weight uh, in challenging times. I want to go back to a point you said around people buy from people mm. and trusting in people. If you're a company and you want to you know, have that people, that face of thought, thought leadership, do you always need to go to the C-suite and the CEO or can you actually look a bit below that and focus on those subject matter experts who may not have the super high title? I think actually it's about having variety and it's having a range. Um, I think um, in some instances, it's great to have the view from the top and people respect the fact that, you know, a CEO or a CTO is is giving their view. But I think one of the things with thought leadership is that you can bring in different perspectives, different attitudes, look at something in a much more rounded way. And I think that's where um, you can then bring in other experts. I think also some of the most interesting thought leadership I've seen has um, sometimes been where people have taken a really, really unexpected audience. I remember there was some work that I think it was Oracle did a number of years ago around banking, and they asked young people and teenagers about their attitudes and expectations of banking in the future. And, you know, people were, you know, expecting a fairly, you know, dry corporate report, but then you get a, a really different sort of attitude and perspective when you talk to um, that kind of group. I may be a pessimist, but I don't think we're doing enough of that in B2B and 
I, the thought leadership, at least that I see, tends to be, you know, the CEO has, it's that C-suite CEO and it's not bringing those diverse voice, voices. Is that fair enough or am I just being completely pessimistic? I think that's true. And I think in the work that's the most successful work that we've done for clients has been where we have been able to bring in a real diversity of different voices and perspectives. Um, to give you an example, we were doing a project for Shell that was around um, the transformation of complex industry. And we did speak to some of the uh, experts in, in some of those areas, but also we consciously tried to look at really different people that we could bring in. And we spoke to Audrey Tang, who is the, uh, the digital minister for the government of Taiwan, who took some really different and fresh approaches to canvassing uh, public opinion during the pandemic and actually was able to accelerate a lot of changes very rapidly um, from a societal point of view. And, and for us, I think that's a really interesting way of taking a different perspective on how you could bring about transformation and change in your organisation. Yeah, 100%. And on the subject of what thought leadership should look like, one of the things that I find really interesting in the research is the fact that 50 55% of decision makers say that during an economic downturn, producing high quality thought leadership is key. Now, what should that, what does high quality look like? Um, so firstly, I think the most important overall thing is to really earn the right to the decision makers time. Um, in the 2021 version of a thought leadership study, um, we spoke to senior leaders and they reported what they described as a tsunami of different business content. And I think whilst business leaders are hungry for um, direction and for fresh insights, there is a huge amount of noise to cut through and there can often be a lot of poor quality thought leadership out there. Um, I think the best way of doing that is really trying to earn that attention. It's around offering different perspectives, um, more entertaining, more creative, more distinctive approaches. And I think there's a number of ways of trying to do that. Firstly, I think it's about taking more of an editorial approach. Often what you find with thought leadership is that the content gets heavily influenced by people internally within the organisation and people look very internally for the things that they cover in that thought leadership. I think the best exponents of this actually operate more like journalists where they are really scrutinising and challenging topics. They're trying to push for external relevance. They're trying to find something that's new and different. And they're trying to tell the story in a very human and personal way. Uh, Microsoft does this extremely well. Um, and they have some great content really talking about how that technology is helping improve things like accessibility, inclusiveness, how it's enabling and encouraging creativity, but doing that very much from a, a human perspective. And, and it really, really has an impact. I think also it's about another way of kind of really cutting through is around ensuring fresh insight. So, you know, during uncertain times, obviously budgets are tight. There can be a tendency to perhaps rely on um, pri uh, proprietary insights from within your organisation maybe to rehash some research or look back at some of the data that you've had previously um, on customers or maybe try to cover too many audiences, too many topics within one piece of um, analysis. I think given customer needs are going to change in tough times, 
actually it's probably more important than ever to be having some fresh primary research to be talking to them and building that into it. There is a piece around um, offering provocative ideas which challenge existing assumptions. Um, one of the challenges with thought leadership is that often it can be validating existing opinions or it's kind of aggregating existing market data, but it's not necessarily bringing something new or contrary to the debate. And that's you know where things get interesting. Another piece that I think can really help here is around driving action. Um, the name thought leadership can be a little bit misleading because it implies that it's only about ideas, but the most impactful campaigns do have a tangible action which really involves the audience. Um, we did some work with uh, National Grid, which was looking to um, demonstrate the role it, it's playing in delivering smarter, more sustainable energy system. And we created the green light signal, and this effectively took masses of National Grid data about energy use, connected it via an API to a smart light bulb, and then uh, we were able to donate those light bulbs to consumers, to businesses. They were able to use them. The light bulb glows green when there is the opportunity to use the cleanest electricity. Mm -hmm. And it really physically involved people in the, in the activity. But also, because of that, it had over a million runs of the app and was able to save the equivalent of 17 million um, mature trees from a carbon perspective. So, so it really involves the audience in the content. And then I think the final piece is around being memorable. Um, I love the B2B Institute's cashing in on creativity report where they um, suggest that distinctive, memorable, creative can be 10 to 20 times more, uh, drive 10 to 20 times more growth. And I think this can apply both in terms of the creative craft that goes into thought leadership. So, you know, if you look at the, the look and feel of some thought leadership from, say, EY or Zendesk, you know, it's really distinctive, really clearly owned by mm. that brand. But then it can also come through being a little bit more entertaining with some of that content. And I guess the best recent example of that is, you know, the Workday Rockstar campaign, but also organisations like uh, Caterpillar and Volvo Trucks consistently manage to inject that mm. entertainment into, you know, what can sometimes be drier subjects. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we distill it down to having fresh insight, challenging old ideas, being actionable, memorable, and quite frankly, not boring, if those are all the good markers of, if those are all the markers of good quality thought leadership, what are the markers of low quality thought leadership? Yeah, so I think that's quite interesting. Because one of the questions that we ask in the study is that we ask the marketeers to uh, rate their own organisations uh, when it comes to thought leadership. So by that, we were talk asking them to rate, you know, the time, the investment, the, the effort, the, the backing that they get from the business when it comes to creating thought leadership content. Mm -hmm. And what you could see as a difference between like the highest and the lowest scores there um, really led to double digit differences when it comes to the brand impact, the brand reputation, the trust building ability of thought leadership but actually also it comes through in the sales impact. So with metrics like around being able to, how thought leadership helps you close deals, how it enables you uh, to drive cross-selling or to make it easier to get the next sale. So I think um, a lot of that comes down to, you know, very much, you know, what you get out, what you put in for some of that. 
Um, not sure I've answered that question that well. <laughs> <laughs> Low quality thought leadership. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think it's just, it's the opposite of what we've been yeah. saying. It's thought leadership without those diverse voices mm-hmm. and without, I think, again, I sound like such a pessimist on mm-hmm. this episode, but I think one of the things that we really struggle with in B2B is this churn mentality when it comes to thought leadership. And I think low quality thought leadership for me is the same old thing that anyone else is saying. It's not, you're not actually saying anything new and contributing to, to the conversation. You're just saying what everyone else is saying and probably not in a very smart way. <laughs> Would you agree with that? To be honest, yes, I do agree. Yeah. Um, I think most organisations um, instinctively recognise it's important to have some form of content which is demonstrating the way they think, the way they approach you know, different tasks. But I think the challenge comes from how much um, scope and latitude uh, the marketing team have to do it well. And a lot of uh, people can get very um, driven by um, internal pressures within companies, um, by overtly, you know, branded or, or salesy content or by, you know, a senior executive that can, you know, throw things off track. And so, you know, I agree with you. I think it is about trying to do fewer things better. But I think there are also some other principles which can help as a guide. So I think it's about having a long-term vision over a period of time. It's about if you have a, cl- a clear proposition, a consistent platform, handful two or three key messages that you're looking to really drive home and also some criteria around what you do but also most importantly what you don't want to include in your thought leadership i think that enables you to run a range of campaigns it enables you to tell a story in different ways over a period of time but it is at least then all laddering up to one point i think repetition is always good um there is tendency to think you know we'll just do you know one and done campaign oh you know well done we've pushed that campaign out that that's really great or to try to do something different each time and and do something different and and distinctive each time but I think actually you know what you really need to do is have that repetition that reinforcement of a message because there is so much noise out there that your audience needs to hear and be familiar with those but those points you're trying to communicate And I think integration is key and, you know, it seems like an obvious thing, but I know it's very, very hard to do in large global organisations. But I think if you can get that right, if you can work thought leadership through all of your communications, marketing and sales activity through one campaign, it really helps with each element amplifying each other. Um, It will help you from a budget point of view. Um, It makes it easier for different countries and different teams around your business to activate it. And if I think about some of the best, you know, programs I've been involved with, you know, they've been ones where it's been aligned around a single platform and it's really driven impact through the buying process, whether that's from awareness and engagement, whether that's through metrics like cost per lead or ROI, through to, you know, the impact that it's had on conversion, on tangible impact on sales or a deal value, and and it really does, you know, that that's when you can really start seeing uh, the traction and the impact behind it. On that impact point, how can, you know, it's all well and good having what you think is a good bit of thought leadership. 
but how can you measure the impact of it in a really solid and succinct way? I think what's often interesting is thought leadership generally gets associated solely with top of funnel activity, you know, perhaps more on the awareness and maybe the educational piece. One of the things that we did in the joint study with LinkedIn is ask um, people to uh, rate where they see thought leadership having an impact through the buying cycle. And actually what you see is um, people feeling that it can have a real impact um, in terms of increasing how often the company gets invited to bid or to tender in terms of kind of, you know, driving that, that kind of initial interest, initial inquiries. It can help with closing deals. Um, so, you know, if there is a decision that's in the balance in terms of being able to help with pushing through, getting awarded that contract, it can help with the upselling and the cross-selling. Um, it also helps with margin. I, I mentioned earlier about how actually uh, people are prepared to pay a premium for companies that can demonstrate the quality of thought and values. So, you know, there is, there is an impact there um, from, a from a margin point of view. And then also it's particularly effective when companies are looking to either enter a new category or for more challenger brands looking to break into a sector. So when it comes to evaluation, I would really urge listeners to um, think about how that thought leadership campaign can work through the buying process and to look at the metrics that you can set at each stage of that because I genuinely do believe it can benefit you know, right through that process and right through the funnel. Amazing. And now just to wrap things up, how would you characterise thought, successful thought leadership in today's climate? And do you have any final pieces of advice for our listeners? Um, so I think marketing is often uh, a bellwether for economic and um, societal trends. And we're certainly in a period of uncertainty. Um, as um, our listeners are thinking ahead about their planning for next year, um, I'd encourage them to also remember that their target audience um, are also experiencing that uncertainty and are really hungry for fresh ideas and insight. Um, they want to be hearing provocative opinions and to look smart in front of their bosses and actually thought leadership can be one of the most effective ways of doing that. Um, you get out what you put in with thought leadership. So I think the more time, the more creativity and investment that goes into it, the bigger the commercial impact it will have. And then thought leadership does have a proven impact through the B2B buying cycle, and it's worth planning campaigns with that in mind. And, you know, if people are thinking about sort of what they should be doing next and how they should be uh, mapping out their marketing mix, you know, we have got five years of data from um, those studies that can really help them with making that business case internally. Perfect. Well, I think that is the perfect place to leave it. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for the invite. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. So thank you and goodbye.